At Global Genes, we know a rare diagnosis changes everything. You weren't given a playbook on how to cope, how to take that next step, and you certainly weren't handed a blueprint on how to build an advocacy organization or successfully bring a therapy to market. The good news is that rare disease advocates are some of the most inspiring, innovative activists on the planet. And Global Genes works to bring the community together to share best practices, create important introductions, and help catalyze powerful collaborations. That's why Global Genes would like to invite you to join us for the fourth annual Rare Patient Advocacy Summit on September 24th and 25th in Huntington Beach, California. The goal of this year's summit is for patients, caregivers, and advocates to walk away equipped with actionable next steps, whether you've been recently diagnosed or building a disease community, thinking about funding early stage research, actively engaged in developing a treatment, or have been advocating in rare diseases for decades. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org forward slash 2015 summit. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Scott Langley, better known as Froggy to listeners of the syndicated radio show Elvis Duran on the Morning Show, learned in 2010 that he had acromegaly, a rare debilitating endocrine disorder caused by a non-cancerous pituitary tumor that triggers overproduction of two hormones that stimulate growth. Langley had been living with unexplained symptoms for 10 years, including profuse sweating and debilitating headaches. He also watched his feet, hands, and jaw grow abnormally without understanding why. We spoke to Langley about his path to a diagnosis, his life since then, and why he's decided to become so public about his condition. Scott, thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate this. We're going to talk today about your experience with acromegaly, but before we do that, I think it might be helpful for our listeners to explain what acromegaly is and how rare a condition it is. Uh, how the disease manifests itself. Um, acromegaly, it's a rare hormonal disorder. Um, it's caused by a non-cancerous tumor that's on the pituitary gland at the base of the brain. And what it does is the tumor causes the um, pituitary gland to overproduce growth hormone. And by the overproduction of growth hormone, it also causes an overproduction of insulin-like growth factor. And uh, worldwide... They believe that there's estimated about 60 cases per million, and it increases every year with three to four new cases per million. So we are starting to see more um, more cases of acromegaly. But uh, as far as manifesting itself, when uncontrolled, um, it causes extreme physical changes. Uh, for example, I experience uh, enlargement of my hands, my feet, a protruding forehead, and my my lower jaw. Uh, grew tremendously, and, and um, the the increase in the number of cases is that because we're getting better at diagnosing it, or or because it's just becoming more common. 
I think we're diagnosing it better because um, I had a hard time getting diagnosed. And had I taken the first answer that I was given, uh, I would not have been diagnosed when I was. So I believe the uh, the fact that people are starting to understand what it is uh, and realizing that there are more cases is why we're seeing more. In addition to the physical changes you mentioned there that can be quite apparent, there are a list of far less visible potential health consequences. What are the, the potential effects of the disease? Well, it is, uh, it is fatal. It is life-threatening if uncontrolled. So if you have it uh, and you don't do something about it, it, it can be fatal. Uh, excess, uh, excess growth hormone and IGF-1 could lead to heart disease, hypertension, uh, diabetes, colon cancer, arthritis, or just a few of the health complications that it can cause. Um, I personally had to have a portion of my colon removed uh, because so many polyps had formed. I had uh, reconstructive colon surgery uh, seven days after having brain surgery. I, I think people often think of rare diseases as being genetically driven, but acromegaly is caused by the development of a benign tumor, as you mentioned. Is, is it selective at all to age, sex, ethnicity? Is there any indication of a, a genetic link? Um, I think we, we see more of it in middle-aged adults. Uh, men and women are both equal. There's no difference. Um, but symptoms can appear at any age, and I think that a lot of times we see it later on because it takes so long for somebody to realize they have it. Well, when, when did you start noticing changes? I was diagnosed officially in May of 2010, but had experienced symptoms. And now going back, you know, when you look back on something, um, you see that they were going on longer than you realize. So I believe that I was seeing symptoms about 10 years prior to my diagnosis, so back in 2000. But I remember I would feel tired or sweat extremely bad, had bad headaches. But living in South Florida, I thought sweating was just normal because it's always hot. Um, and any physical changes that I noticed, um, I had kind of written off to just aging. And so I didn't really realize what was going on until there were other things that didn't make sense, like my shoe size went from a size 10 um, to a 14. Uh, I play a lot of golf, and when I went to play golf, I would have to special order golf gloves because they wouldn't fit my hands. So something didn't make sense. So that was that was the reason I started uh, kind of looking in to see what was going on. At what age did you experience that increase in shoe size? It started happening. Acromegaly kind of happens in different stages. You uh, the, the, the first stage, you don't really see anything, and then the second stage, you start noticing the enlargement of hands, feet, face, forehead, stuff like that, lower jaw. I would say that started happening in probably 2005, 2006. How old were you at the time? I would have been, let's see, 2005, I turned 30. So I'd have been 30, 31. I mean, your feet shouldn't be growing at 30 or 31. Well, you, you, a truly modern patient, you sort of diagnosed yourself with Google and then confirmed it with Alex Trebek when the answer to a Jeopardy question was, what is acromegaly? How long did it take you to go to a doctor, and why didn't you go sooner since you had suspicions? Well, in 2000, it was either 2008, 2009, I believed that there was a problem. And so I remember, like I distinctly remember sitting down in front of a computer and looking up uh, enlarged hand, feet, forehead, you know, just doing research. I didn't even know what the word acromegaly was. I never heard of it before. Um, and I saw it, and one of the things I saw was brain surgery. 
And I remember closing the browser, walking away from the computer and saying, oh, not ready for that yet. And I just kind of put it, put it off. And I said, I'll just, yeah, I'll just keep living. I didn't even realize what I was feeling or how I was feeling. And then one day I was playing golf and my mom called me and I was in the golf course and I didn't answer the first time. And she called back a second time. And so I answered and my mom's the kind of mom that I can say, Hey mom, I'll call you later. And she generally is like, okay, no problem. Call me later. I'm sorry to bother you. But when I said, I'll call you later, she said, no, you're going to talk to me right now. I don't care what you're doing. And she said to me, I saw Jeopardy last night and there was a question. She says, have you ever heard of the word acromegaly? And this was in May in Florida. So it's hot. And I got cold chills. I knew right then that day there was a problem. And uh, when I was done playing golf, I called my primary care physician and I scheduled an appointment uh, one week to the day later. And that was when it started. Had you already begun your radio career before you were diagnosed? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I started radio um, fresh out of high school uh, in 1994, and I was diagnosed in 2010. So, I mean, I had been on the radio for 16 years prior so to being diagnosed. Did, did the jaw growth that comes with the disease affect your voice or your career in any way? Absolutely. Uh, I had gotten, since it's so slow, it's, you know, it's not a fast progression. It's a very slow progression. Um, I had gotten where I had learned to speak uh, with kind of closing the gap in my teeth with my tongue, um, not realizing really how drastic my voice had changed. Um, and so I figured that out over time. And by doing that, um, that's why I had to have reconstructive jaw surgery because I had gotten where even just the slightest little thing, eating was a problem. Well, when you walked through the door to see your primary care physician, you knew what the problem was, but your doctor told you you were wrong. How how difficult was it to get a correct diagnosis? Well, I walked in and I, I told her what was going on. And I showed her some things and I showed her pictures. She said, well, you know, you are aging. You're not, you know, I showed her a picture from when I was like 20 or 22 and she said, well, you're not 22 anymore. You know, you're this, you're that. And I said, well, I just think I have it. I, just, I said, I know it's rare. And, and I, I remember asking her, I said, what makes you think I don't have it? She says, well, I've never seen anybody with it. I said, well, fair enough. That doesn't mean I don't have it. What can we do? And she said, well, to get checked, um, it's a, you need to do what's called a glucose tolerance test. that checks your IGF level, your, uh, uh, your insulin-like growth factor. Um, you need to do that. And it was a four-hour test, and I had to go see an endocrinologist. I had to see a specialist to get approved uh, for that test. I did a regular MRI, and when I did the regular MRI, uh, the gentleman who did the MRI asked me what I was there for, and I told him. And he said, you're not going to see anything on the MRI you're taking today. You're going to need to come back for a what's called a pituitary MRI. And sure enough, my endocrinologist, uh, sent me for that. And so with the glucose tolerance test and the pituitary MRI, we got a, uh, a positive diagnosis in May of 2010. Well, once you had a diagnosis, how did that change things for you? Did you feel dread? Did you feel relief and ability to confront what was happening to your body? Um, I saw it as a relief. Um, I remember we got diagnosed. Um, we've all been to the doctor and the nurse kind of gives you 
uh, they, they take the folder and put it on the table and walk out of the room and wait for the doctor to come in. Well, I grabbed the folder real quick and looked at it. I saw the IGF-1 number. And when I saw the number, I knew it was a relief. I, I didn't feel scared. I felt relief. It, I was worried that there was brain surgery involved, but I was, I knew now what was wrong. And so when I left the diagnosis, uh, my wife was crying and I got in the car and went and played golf. So I was extremely relieved. Um, I just knew that from that point on, um, that I had to then go down the road of getting, uh, getting fixed and figuring out how to get better now that we knew what the problem was. Well, well, the good news is you have a diagnosis. The bad news, as you mentioned, is you're now a candidate for brain surgery. What was that process like? Uh, brain surgery itself was not bad. Um, the only time I got scared is the morning they rolled me in the operating room. Um, and I saw the actual brain surgeon. He was very matter of fact. Like he was, he was very much like, Hey, it's no problem. We'll take care of it. This and the other, I'll get what I can. Um, now I wasn't able, um, to have my full tumor removed because a portion of my tumor was against my carotid artery. So I still have a piece of my tumor left. So therefore I'm on medical therapy, but the brain surgery itself uh, was actually not that bad. And do they actually go through the nose? Yes, it's called like transsephenoidal, or I forget exactly what the correct terminology is. But yeah, they they go up through the nose. They go in one nostril with a camera, and the other nostril, um, they do with the uh, uh, whatever tool they use to remove it. Um, and that's that's how they do it that way. So one of the things I was surprised to learn is after people have surgery, there's there's actually a reversal in the growth. How, how dramatic a change did you see? Uh, before surgery, I weighed 205 pounds, and now I'm 165. Uh, my shoe size has gone to a size uh, 11, 11 and a half. So I didn't go all the way back where I was, uh, but I went down quite a bit from a 14. Uh, my hands, uh, the swelling went all the way down to my hands. Um, now, I, not to... Um, not to boast or anything, but I think my changes going backwards um, are probably better than most. Um, I know a lot of people don't experience the full drawback of both their hands uh, and their feet uh, like, like I did. Uh, I had to have my jaw reconstructed because that's bone growth. But the soft tissue growth I experienced uh, growing back was probably a little greater than what some people think. Well, you mentioned they weren't able to remove the entire tumor. Uh, when when the entire tumor is removed, does does that, in, in essence, cure someone? Or like you, do they have to have cons constant monitoring through the rest of their life? Well, I don't like to use the word cure because I don't know that there is a such thing as a cure because uh, once the tumor is there, it always has the potential to uh, reemerge again. Um, but yeah, uh, regardless of even somebody who has full removal of the tumor or somebody who doesn't, like me, in my case, you should always continue to monitor your hormone levels with your uh, endocrinologist and stay on top of it because, like I said, sometimes the tumor does reemerge. That is possible. And in my case, uh, I'm just making sure that what's left of the tumor is not growing again, not active. Uh, and therefore, I monitor my hormone levels on a regular basis and do everything that my uh, endocrinologist asked me to do. And is there any kind of a drug regimen that's necessary to maintain proper hormone levels? 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on a drug regimen. There there are uh, there are a few different drug regimens out there, um, and that is between uh, me and my endocrinologist, and we we go through and we've tried different ones until you find the one that works for you. It's kind of you know like anything else. Uh, for some people, they take something for a headache and they find that one thing works better than the rest. Uh, it's that way with you know with drugs for this as well. There's certain things work better for you know for certain people than others. Well, in some sense, I imagine if if you're aware of the symptoms, acromegaly is, is not a difficult disease to to diagnose, and a, a blood test can confirm. But as your experience would suggest, many people who have the disease may be very slow to realize it. Any sense how many people may be out there undiagnosed? Uh, well, you know, you know, I, I was with it for ten years before I knew what was wrong. So I'd imagine that there are a lot of people out there that are living with acromegaly that are asking themselves uh, the same questions I was asking. Uh, why am I aging? Why is my... I mean, my whole facial structure changed, um, which now looking back is not something that happens when you age. Um, so my guess is that there are quite a few people who either are living with it and are afraid, uh, like I was, or are living with it and don't even know that acromegaly even uh, exists. They don't even know what it is. Well, you've decided to, to be quite public about your condition. What are you hoping to accomplish? Well, I would like acromegaly to become a household name so more people recognize the disease and get people that are living with it diagnosed sooner instead of uh, having to wait 10 years like I did. Um, I have seen firsthand that me uh, sharing it on the uh, radio program that I'm on uh, as well as uh, doing the print media and stuff like this that I'm doing, uh, I've been contacted by uh, countless people who have told me uh, that the videos I've created and stuff like that have either helped them personally. I had a, a woman reach out to me uh, Monday of this week and said that uh, she thought she had it. She saw the video that I did on YouTube and that she screamed for her husband to come in the room and that it was the first time she felt that uh, somebody made her feel like she wasn't crazy. All the same things that I was feeling, she felt them too. Uh, she now is post-surgery and uh, was diagnosed with acromegaly, has gone through the surgery, and is doing better. Um, I had another woman reach out to me right when we started doing it, and I just spoke to her earlier uh, again this week. And she too had the same thing. She had a friend of hers who was experiencing the same exact symptoms and had gone into depression like I did, did not know what was wrong. And he is post, he lives in Cleveland, he's an attorney, and he is post-surgery now and doing it very well as well. So, you know, it's just little things like that, that, you know, when I was first diagnosed and learning how to manage the disease, I found, uh, through my research on Google, I found a lot of information uh, on acromegalyinfo.com. And that's how I knew this. It's so easy. It's, there's like a little checklist there that you go down. And I want to say there's like eight or ten items. And I had seven or, seven or nine of them. I had all but one. So just research like that. And nobody knows your body better than you do. You're, you're your own best advocate. So if you think there's something wrong with your body, don't just take no for an answer. Uh, you know, see it through. If you think there's something wrong, find out what's going on. Scott Langley, better known as Froggy, to listeners of the syndicated radio show Elvis Duran and the Morning Show, and an acromegaly patient advocate. Scott, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny. I appreciate it.
If you'd like to learn more about Scott Langley and meet him, join Global Genes for the fourth annual Rare Patient Advocacy Summit, September 24th and 25th in Huntington Beach, California. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org forward slash 2015 summit. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.